Buzzkills Live, the show that hasn't slept or showered since last Sunday. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Marie Khan. Hello, and Moji Aluoreil. Hi, all. Coming up on today's show, it's Midterm Mania. We're bringing you the good, the bad, and what it all means for abortion access. And joining us to pop off on all of it is comedian, filmmaker, and creator of AMC's Indefensible, Jenna Friedman. And Diane Horvath, an OBGYN and owner of a brand spanking new clinic in Maryland, is here. She's going to talk about providing abortion care in all trimesters of pregnancy in this hostile new world. But before our guests join us, your Buzzkills wanted to break down some specific abortion-related consequences of the midterms that you won't be hearing on cable news. I mean, last night was intense. Um Moji and Marie and some AAF staff and some friends came over to my house. I made some vegan chili uh, and some cornbread. We watched the yes. returns come in and it was a roller coaster of love and hate. It was a lot. Definitely both. It was a roller coaster of love and hate, I think really captures it. It was, um, I'm glad we were together. It was so nice to uh, be in communion. I feel like we need to more normalize um, midterm election events, because I think that'll yes. go towards, uh, you know, building up midterm, um, both uh, shame and uh, excitement, like mm-hmm. be ashamed if you haven't voted and excited to vote, because as you're going to talk about, um, yeah, I'm glad we were together. I it was just so up and down. <laughs> it was like, it, yay! Oh, yes, yeah. You were oh. kind of reminded how stats work a little bit. Like, ooh, I did really well on that. You know, it's week one out of sixteen, and then you realize you get grades later in the night, and you're like, oh shit, this is this is what's gonna happen. We had yep. we you have hopes that that say one thing, and then you look at another state, and you're like, Georgia, I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Well, it also feels like, I'm sorry, but God bless Steve Kornacki, Mr. Peanut Butter Pants, because um, I think that <laughs> it would be without somebody explaining to you when certain counties report, like what these numbers yes. mean, like, like, you know, you would be panicking for no reason and there would be no reason to watch it because you, you would just be lost in the way things work. And as we break down all of the things that happened and especially how they relate to abortion um, in a couple sacks, it's really helpful to understand that some states just take longer. Some states have weird rules on when they release ballots. Like there's all kinds of shit. And like, it was just crazy. And, you know, our gang of, of folks at AAF, um, we've been gathering together and felt profound disappointment since 2015. We gathered for the uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Donald Trump debacle. Just that was a sad one. Just getting so drunk and then being so sad with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. We were together. Uh, that was that. like the worst weekday brunch ever. Oh. I feel like we were like we had like blankets and and bubbly and we were just crying. <laughs> well, and, and this is just watching the testimony. Like this is just watching the hearing. Yeah. That was just watching it. We were it was very emotional. I just felt like nobody should be watching it in their computers at a co-working space. Mm. It just felt wrong. And mm-hmm. so I think having support is good. So we ate some good food. I'm going to put my chili recipe in the show notes, y'all, because it's really yes, good chili. It's really good. It's great vegan chili. Everybody loves it. Meat eaters love it. People love it. You said it had chocolate in it, Liz? Cocoa powder? Cocoa powder, so cinnamon, be- beautiful chunks of, of sweet potato and beans and tomato and garlic. And it's a very hearty chili stew. And then if you want to load it up with sour cream and cheese... It would be great, too, if you wanted to put meat in it. I just didn't because people have varying needs. So <laughs> I know it's very yummy. So enough about that. Um, I think we should, like, impart some wisdom to folks on how a lot of this shit is going to play out for abortion access. Because 
this is a pretty important podcast. And I think we've got some wisdom to offer up that you're just not going to see from the recycled punditry that has been happening all day and will be happening throughout the weekend. So let's kick it off uh, with the ballot initiatives. And I think Marie is going to going to walk us through what happened there. And then we'll talk about it on the backside, as they say. Yes, Liz. One of the abortion-centric areas of the midterms this last week were the ballot initiatives. So this year, there were five states with proposals up for vote that directly would affect abortion access. So first up, we had California, Michigan, and Vermont. All three of these states had abortion-affirming measures up for vote. And all of them passed. (laughs) Californians now have a guaranteed right to abortion and contraception and the right to refuse it, which if you know about the prison system in this fucking country, people need to have in place because we like to sterilize people. There's also some other refreshing updates for the state, like previously existing uh, a previously existing viability ban limiting abortion care has been removed. Now on to Michigan. Their voters have hosted a ballot initiative rodeo before, and this time they had to decide if they wanted a constitutional right to reproductive freedom, including abortion and contraceptive choices. And 56% of the state said, hell yes. And we will talk more about Michigan farther on, but this is wonderful. And then Vermont, which this is perhaps some of the most exciting news because they have the historic honor of being the first state to actually enshrine the way their ballot initiative went about. It enshrines the right to abortion and contraception in the state constitution. And this means that later legislative action cannot undo this. And it passed by 77 percent, which is a huge, huge margin. Wow. Nothing passes by 77 percent. Right? Gun laws do. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the wage gap. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I digress, though. So Kentucky and Montana, the other two of the five states, they had bad anti-abortion ballot measures. Kentuckians were asked if abortion should not be protected by the state constitution. And even though they were faced with this word puzzle, they were smart enough to vote no, and abortion access was not carved away. And Montana was faced with the decision of adding unnecessary language around born alive infants. And that was also voted down as well. People showed up. They said, no, this is an invasive personhood modification. It's a joke on creating actual medical care. And they said, we will not have the folks in our state with uteruses bound by this. And so so you're doing math. We are five out of five in a positive abortion news. And six, if you want to count Kansas. <laughs> yeah, and six, if you want to count Kansas. Which I do. Uh, always. So I want to just talk about like what these ballot initiatives mean, because Marie, as you laid out the three positives, mm-hmm. it's only in Vermont did you say that they enshrined it, which means they can't create laws to curb access. And I'm wondering in California and in Michigan, If even though they have this constitutional protection, can the legislature curb away at access? I mean, I think that's the $64,000 question that we we all need to be looking at and not sit back on our laurels, but Mm -hmm. figure out what that constitutional protection means and make sure that shenanigans can't ensue. Right. Like, do you have a constitutional protection, but they can still add a 72 hour waiting to it, right. right? You have seven, do you have a 72, but they can still try to make you like talk about abortion reversal or some such nonsense, or you have the constitutional protection and there's still these Emma laws, which are the ones that make you go to anti-abortion clinics before getting real abortion care. And um, that's really interesting to me. And yeah, like you said, the 60, I would say the hundred thousand dollar question, but you can stop at 64, go Liz. Yeah. Well, I think and it goes, <laughs> it goes the other way too, Liz. Like, okay, we got this positive affirmation out of Kentucky. Kentucky currently has a a ban in place that we're we're going to find out next week, hopefully, like positive news in that direction. But here we have Kentuckians that have affirmed, no, you you should get to have access to abortion care, but but it's not getting to happen. And so it, it totally works the other way, too. Like, well. Well, who's at fault here then? And how does this get how does this get enforced? How does right. this get enforced? Yeah. Yeah. The advantage of the person with the uterus that needs health care. Well, also in Kentucky, it's like so maddening because, you know, they voted to say, don't take away, uh, we don't make a constitutional amendment that we we don't have the right to have an abortion. But at the same time, they 
they have their Kentucky House has eight Democrats and 30 Republicans. Their Senate has 25 Democrats and 75 Republicans. It's like if if it's gerrymandering, if it's that people do not have a fundamental understanding of how these abortion bans happen. I got to believe that we need to every state should be putting an abortion positive measure to the voters because if it's a one person vote goes to the constitution and it doesn't matter what district you live in i feel like that's the only way at this point that we're going to be able to get abortion rights in these states that are trying to legislate them away yeah it's really the fastest way to direct democracy basically yeah because with yeah if we have this representative democracy which is what we have with our senate and our House, then yeah, you whatever because of gerrymandering, because of redistricting, which you know we're going to get to Florida, but um, <laughs> they can create these things. But with ballot ballot measures, with these, um, it's just the person votes for it. You say yes or no, and it's if if you're voting, your voice is is heard. Period. Yeah, and if you're voting no in Montana and uh, and Kentucky and Kansas, what have you got to lose? Vote yes. Just put it mm-hmm. on there. Get yeah. it there. Yes, I want to have. The right for people to have bodily autonomy and the government out of people's bodies, I think, should be enshrined in our state constitution. I think that um, you could have that in a myriad of ways. States could frame it in the way that their constituents would 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 have buy in. I think it needs to start happening. I agree. I know That's what we so should be working for for 2024. Everywhere. Let's be working towards that for everywhere and in off seasons, too. You know, it's like, let's just keep doing it. Um, all right. On to federals. You know, I'm supposed to take the lead on this federal uh, the federal elections, the congressional and Senate races. And I have to tell you, it's it's good and it's horrible and it's unclear. And so the big confirmed news is that Fetterman won and it looks like abortion could have a codifying majority in the Senate mm-hmm. with that crucial extra human in, in place to defang West Virginia's Nosferatu. But <laughs> it ain't over till it's over, y'all. And while the counting is still going on, as of this podcast, we are chewing our nails down to the nubs just to see how many races are going to play out. It looks like we're not going to know what's happening in Nevada until possibly Sunday. Um, Arizona is just, you know counting as slow as they can count. And so I think there's been some good national takeaways. I think it's pretty cool to have a Black queer Gen Z, uh, the youngest person ever elected in Florida to Congress, who is like focusing on issues of guns and and um, LGBTQ rights and abortion rights. I mean, I think that is the start in good news in Florida. I think that looking at the other federal races, though, it's really hard to contextualize anything on what it means for abortion until it all shakes out in Congress. I think that it's a very interesting thing that we're looking at to see if Colorado 3, we'll call it, changes from Lauren Boebert to this new person. I just, I think that, you know, we just don't know. But I think that, again, Democrats didn't pay attention to the districts they just always have taken for granted. And in New York, a lot of those seats we lost. I mean, when you have Sean Patrick Maloney, who is the head of the DCCC, losing his own seat while running really good races for other people, it's sort of like, hey, my family's falling apart while I'm a really good social worker. Like, what is happening right now? So I I don't know. I don't want to spend too much time on what the federal elections mean because I don't know. And it just kind of harkens back to if we can't codify Roe because we lose part of the House or the Senate, heading back to the conversation we had two minutes ago about states. So I think we should move on to actually statewide races, because I think right now we have some some solid tangibles there. And I think that we can offer up some better wisdom there right now. I'm just a ball of, I'm not sure because it's all in flux. No, it is all in flux. States, there's still some flux, but (laughs) there are, and they work kind of all over the place. But I feel like you know, we were told to expect this bloodbath. The pundits were like, for the last couple of weeks have been like, oh, it's going to be this red tsunami. And I'm like, we just call that a period. <laughs> <laughs> Which? <laughs> but on a blood moon, on a blood moon, blood moon. <laughs> <laughs> but, blood you know, moon. I'm like major disappointments, um, but none we didn't expect. Like 
Stacey Abrams did not, you know, there was a Stacey Abrams loss. There was the Beto loss. Um, Florida, we can just now accept is not a purple state. It is a red state. But Massachusetts elected a really dope governor. But Florida, right? This is what's going on in Florida. I mean, DeSantis has the trifecta, right? He has the House. Um, you know, they have mostly Republicans in the House, mostly Republicans in the Senate. He's the governor. They can do whatever they want. And it's the last bastion of abortion access in the South. So, like, it's kind of a big deal, you know? Do you have any thoughts? Well, it's especially big because if we think about the states around there, you can't get you can't get legal abortion in Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana or Arkansas or Texas. So all of these folks are being forced and pushed and squeezed to either self-manage in their state safely or have to leave the state. So if they're not getting to Kansas, if they can't get to the Midwest, they have they're going to places like Florida. They're going to places like Georgia. They're looking at the Carolinas. So if Florida, if that if that access would disappear for Florida, it wouldn't even be just Floridians that are going to be so screwed. People that are not on the mainland of Florida, people that, that English is not their primary language, people that um, are, are from outside the U.S., but it's also going to be people within the U.S. from these other states that are scrambling because you... Only so many people can fly to D.C. on, you know, on a given weekend to get an abortion. There's so many things that rely on that. And if you're saying, all right, a driving distance state from Louisiana, from Mississippi, from Alabama is also now not an option anymore. That makes it really, really hard. And it also kind of takes you over to Georgia, which is just north of Florida. They just elected Brian Kemp and Mm -hmm. their six week ban could could turn into zero abortions. You have South Carolina desperately trying. And so the good news is in North Carolina. Um, they, uh, even though the Senate race, um, didn't go the way we wanted, they didn't get a overriding majority in North Carolina. So North Carolina's abortion rights will be solidified for now, which means that people can actively get abortions in North Carolina right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, they're expanding clinics in North Carolina and that's a positive Exactly, because also North Carolina does have a Democratic governor, and because they don't have the supermajority, they can't override him. So this, they, is yeah, big, they can't change the laws. Exactly. Huge. So this and, is a huge one for us. And I um, want to wrap out of states quickly to get to our guests, but I do want to also say too that in Minnesota, they got a pro-choice trifecta in this election. Yes, it was very scary because they had a real. You know, one of those they, they're wearing furries and shitting in cat boxes, governor <laughs> candidate. And I mean, it's then cold had, in Minnesota. Like, yeah, Lewis can and tell they you. had a lieutenant governor who was a who was the one who said abortion was forcing women to go to work. And um, and so Tim Walls prevailed and now they have a trifecta. And so Minnesota, a being a state that is one of the havens for abortion, expanding access, getting rid of all of their bans and exceptions on top of having a legislature that is going to hopefully further access with funds and help is a really good thing that came out of the midterms. But there is a lot going on. We have Arizona. We have a lot of things happening. And again, the unraveling of how these races are going to play out. Um, You know that your buzzkills are going to be covering it. But in the meantime, as we say every show, remember, if you need access to care and you need funding for that care, the best resource that we can tell you is INeedAnA.org. That's INeedAnA.org. And that is in the show notes. And now we're going to bring on, we're going to get to some really good news. We have an incredible guest who's performing some incredible abortions in a state that said, hell yes, we want more abortions. Um, Marie, let's introduce our fantastic guest. Yes, Dr. Diane Horvath is the co-founder and medical director of Partners in Abortion Care, a new clinic in College Park, Maryland. She's an OBGYN with a complex family planning subspecialty and has been a public advocate for abortion access throughout her career. Please welcome Dr. Diane Horvath. Hello, welcome Dr. Horvath. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. To get right off and started, you just got a new governor who's very much an abortion advocate. Tell folks uh, who he is and what that means for abortion care in Maryland. 
So we are very, very pleased to have uh, dumped our, well, we the Republican <laughs> governor dumped himself. Um, and we elected a wonderful man named Wes Moore, um, who has been an abortion rights supporter, you know, I think since the beginning of his political career. And um, we're really happy that he will, he's pledged to release the funds that were voted on by our legislature in the last term. So these were funds to help set up training centers, particularly for advanced practice nurses and other advanced practice clinicians, and that our Republican governor um, held, just basically withheld. So the oh, legislature damn. voted on it, they overrode his veto, and he still just kind of hung on to the money, because I guess that's what you can do when you're the governor. Um, but this, this guy will release the money. So that's a good thing for all of us, for all the patients that will be seen by all of those well-trained advanced practice clinicians. That's so great. And will you explain to folks what advanced practice clinicians are and what that means? Sure. Yeah. So there are a few states that uh, that um, have advanced practice clinicians that are able to do abortions um, under state law and scope of practice. So an advanced practice clinician is sometimes like a nurse practitioner, could be a physician assistant, could be um, you know any one of a number of like kind of graduate level trained. Uh, healthcare folks, physician assistants is another one. Um, and they are, it's been proven and shown by many, many studies that advanced practice clinicians can safely provide abortion care. And so Maryland's a really progressive state in a lot of ways. And um, they're following in the footsteps of places like California and Washington that have already allowed for scope of practice changes for advanced practice clinicians. There just are not enough abortion providers. And mm -hmm. a lot of communities don't have a lot of access to physicians for anything, much less abortion. And if we can train advanced practice clinicians to do this, which I think we can, um, and we plan to do at my clinic, um, I think it's going to be a really good thing for patients. So this is surgical abortion for people who need it. Yeah. And also nice. medication abortion. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah but, but definitely including surgical. And your um, clinic. So your clinic is new to Maryland. Um, can you tell folks about the type of services Moji mentioned, surgical, medication, abortion? What will you all be providing? And why did you want to start this clinic? <laughs> so we are going to be doing, uh, we're going to be offering all trimester abortion care. So in Maryland, we have a legal framework that recognizes that there are folks who need abortions later in pregnancy for a lot of really good reasons. And so we are able to provide that care here in Maryland. So our clinic is going to prioritize care past 20 weeks. Um, there's very few places for people to go. And certainly um, almost all of the clinics providing later abortion care are independent clinics like ours. Um, so that would be not affiliated with Planned Parenthood, not affiliated with a hospital. We decided to start this clinic because there was a need. And my partner, my business partner and I, uh, Morgan Nuzo, who's a certified nurse midwife, so an advanced practice clinician, decided after working in a bunch of other clinics that, you know, we were seeing some things we liked and a lot of things we didn't like. And um, we thought, you know, we could, we could do this. And it was, I think, in the viewing what abortion access is going is has become and what it's going to be like going forward, we also wanted to do something that you know, wasn't just a reaction to what was happening and to be able to build a clinic based on anti-oppression principles, to build it on justice, to be the only woman-owned later abortion clinic in the country, and certainly the only one co-owned by a physician and midwife partnership. That's pretty innovative. When you say that it should abortion care should be built on like justice and anti-oppression principles, exactly what does that mean uh, to you? What does that look like? Or what do you think it should look like for like larger people who are you know interested in abortion care and, and maybe yeah. want to make sure they have that framework? Yeah, the, one of the biggest things is that I think abortion care up to this point in a lot of places, not everywhere, but in a lot of places has been built on a scarcity mindset where we do, we do, we have a limited number of resources. We have laws that restrain us. There's all these things that are happening. And so we operate within this really limiting system. And I think one of the things that like white supremacy has done is just kind of killed people's imaginations about what things could look like and what they should look like. And so when we were thinking about what we wanted this clinic to be, we thought about, you know, bringing in an anti-oppression consulting group, which we did from the very beginning to help us basically build a clinic that wasn't something built on white supremacy um, mm -hmm. that we didn't, you know, it's really hard to unbake the cake once there's something like that in it. Um, but if we started from the beginning, we thought we could do it better. And so we're, we're actively working with this group to basically have a clinic based on anti-racism and a clinic that, you know, doesn't perpetuate fat phobia and a clinic that 
that will welcome people of all genders, you know, kind of all of those things where people get excluded or marginalized from healthcare. We want to make sure that those folks are welcome here and not just like, oh, we'll be nice to you, whatever. It's we want to be actively welcoming and 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 a place where we can start to repair some of the historical wrongs that have happened. And you know, Diane, like I've had I've had so many people who do this work and also talk to patients um, who have said that in the journey of them deciding, you know, finding out they're pregnant and deciding that they need an abortion, people of all genders, people of all economic backgrounds, racial backgrounds. And they have said that oftentimes by the time they get to the clinic, it's the first time that they have found support in their decision. And so to base a clinic in those principles, it's not just lip service. It's very real for people who have who have come through that. And I I commend you on doing that. And I just think that making sure that when we when people have medical care and they have the experience that recognizes their full humanity, it's crucial because every person's different. So I think that is it's just really, it's just really great and it just lends itself to an experience of 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 just having the best medical experience you can have you know that's that's full of competency and compassion i also wanted to ask you since you're in a state that really honors that abortions need to happen in in all trimesters of pregnancy and we're in a place that has people trying to get their abortions and having to wait later into the pregnancies to do so just trying to find the means trying to just like come to terms and everything Talk to me about what that's like when you're when you are in a position to be one of the few practitioners that are wholly able to provide this care and dispelling some myths around people who have pregnancies and second and third trimester abortions, because I think there is a lot of stigma and a lot of bullshit around that. And I'd love for you to just call that shit out and tell people how we should be talking rather than letting it sit. Yeah, I, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma and a lot of thought that people just kind of waltz in off the street at, you know, 33 weeks and decide Oof. they're done being pregnant and I'm just going to have an abortion. And that's bullshit. And we know it's bullshit. And the people who say it know it's bullshit. It's just like this fantastical kind of made up story to demonize this type of care and the people who get it and the people who provide it. Um, we see people for all kinds of reasons, the same kinds of reasons we see people early in pregnancy. But one of the big reasons is that people are navigating a web of restrictions, which now is even like stickier and, you know, more um, difficult to, to maneuver around. So there are people we see who wanted an abortion two, three, four months ago and have been trying to navigate all of the costs and barriers and childcare and all that stuff. So we work really closely with abortion funds and we have a full-time social worker to help coordinate that care for patients. And that's been a, a really wonderful thing to have access to. Um, another reason we see people is folks get really bad diagnoses late in pregnancy. I mean, we see people every week who this is a wanted pregnancy and there's something really bad happening. And I really just hope nobody ever, I hope none of these folks standing outside the clinics yelling ever find themselves in that position because it's really hard. Um, there are also people who did not find out they were pregnant until far later in the pregnancy. And that happens for lots mm -hmm. of reasons. Sometimes it's because you're 12 or 13 years old and your <laughs> periods aren't regular. And so um, we do see a fair number of young people. And other times it's because, you know, life happens and like not of us, not all of us are tracking our periods on an app and like people don't have regular cycles. And there are some folks who never have a single symptom of pregnancy, which is amazing to me because um, I had them all when I was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> but but it's it happens and there and it really is something that we see. And and I don't I think the important thing is not the reasons why people are there. It's that when a person is there and they need an abortion, they are 100 percent pregnant and they need that abortion and they are a person that I am taking care of. I don't actually care very much why people are there. I just need to know that this is what they need. And that, we yeah, you know, I got my first abortion I had, I was um, in high school and I was 14 and a half weeks pregnant. And it was simply because fear, I, I was like in denial. I just, that's just what happened. And like, and those things happen. And it's like you said, we have so much education and work to do around abortions at any stage of a pregnancy are fine if you you know they're fine and so we need to 
be bold enough to talk about it. Otherwise, they have the narrative. So thank you for that. I think it's important to say that every day and often. Yeah. Uh-huh. And every every time we put a line in the pregnancy and we say nothing can happen after this point, like no abortions after this many weeks, we know that someone is going to fall on the other side of that line and they're going to be harmed. And that yeah. is, yes, that is not even speculative. That is a fact. That's a fact. Um, speaking of the other people, uh, the anti-abortion community uh, has targeted your clinic. So what's that been like for you guys? Can you tell us like what happened and how you're recovering? So we were targeted with a flyering campaign. Uh, even before we had opened, we were just kind of, we were waiting for our permits to come from the state and things like that. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood uh, notified us that there had been flyers left on people's doors um, on a weekend night. And also in our complex, we're in an office complex with a couple dozen other offices. There were flyers left at all of the offices in our complex. And they basically, you know, it's the same old shit. They, I, It's not surprising. This has happened to many, many friends and colleagues. Um, so I, I knew that something like this would happen eventually. I think what was surprising and really encouraging was the way that the community has rallied around us. And I think these people thought that they were going to come in and say, there's an abortion clinic and they're scary. They put it on like a college campus. Like, who do you think needs abortion? <laughs> you know, people who go to college. Like we were, um, contacted by several of our neighbors and in our complex and in the neighborhood surrounding us. We were contacted by some professors and students at the university. People donated to our GoFundMe. So I really think that they picked the wrong community to mess with. Um, and they especially it's nice. sort of like, hey, there's an abortion clinic, amazing! Thanks yeah. for letting the me advertising. Know. <laughs> yeah, yes. You guys did the advertising for us. We didn't even have to come out and tell people we were here. So you know, thanks. Um, and I think it was jarring. Like you know, certainly it doesn't feel good to be targeted. Um, but these are bullies, and they're terrorists, and like they're just they're try- the fear is the point. The right. fear. Is- and you know, like there, this job isn't something I'm going to leave because you leave flyers at my door. Right. And, and, and I think that it's important for folks to know that this has been a tactic for years in the anti-abortion movement and it, it can take many forms and it is oftentimes they'll also hit people's homes. They'll hit people's neighborhoods. And so, you know, it's, you're a special person for letting it roll off your back. Um, and I love that you're just like, your flyer isn't scaring me. <laughs> you know, die in a fire. Um, but uh, my word's not yours. Um, but I and I do appreciate you um, just just saying I do this work because I love this work. And also, I think when you have the moral high ground, you know, stupid, petty garbage just doesn't affect you in the same way. Yeah, I know. I know what we're doing is moral and just and it's the right thing to be doing. And you know, I mean, you can leave as many flyers as you want. It's it's your like, you know, money at FedEx and Kinko's on all your copies. That's not my problem. So I, I think that that's awesome. So as you're open now, you've been open how long? This is our fourth week of seeing patients. Fourth week of seeing patients. And are you up and running how you are planning to be when you're when you're up? Are you performing abortions in all, all of the trimesters now? Are yep. you able to have everything up and going just so our listeners can hear and know like, you're full on full speed. Yeah. So we are, we kind of ramped up in terms of numbers and, and patient census, just because we want to make sure that all of our systems are in place. There's a lot of things you discover about process that you don't discover until you start seeing patients. You're like, oh, we need a form for that. Or, you know, how, what's the best way to get this person from this room to this room? So we're working on those things, but we, um, I think we'll up our census slowly, but we're seeing people in all trimesters. We're doing the full scope of care that we intended to do. Nice. That is so good to hear. Marie, I think you had a question. How how can our audience, folks that are listening to us, support you? You mentioned independent clinics. First off, you are you all have been the ones across the board who have provide been providing the bulk of care in the U.S. Both for folks that are here and folks that are coming here to get care. How can our listeners support you and the new clinics like yours that are emerging? I think there's a bunch of ways. Um, one way would be to uh, get involved and donate with the Keep Our Clinics campaign through Abortion Care Network. So Abortion Care Network, um, as your listeners probably already know, is the group of independent abortion providers and clinics. Um, and so it's any place that's not a Planned Parenthood or affiliated with a hospital or a private doctor's office. Um, and as you said, they provide the bulk of the abortion care, including almost all of the later abortion care in the United States. So that's a great place mm-hmm. to donate. 
The money goes to help clinics sustain themselves, certainly to help clinics stay open in states where bans have been passed so that those clinics can continue to be community resources for people. Another way is to support your local abortion fund. Patients need funds to get places. Now they're going to have to travel even further, take more time off of work for the trip, things like that. So your local abortion fund is a wonderful place to throw some money. And if you want to give to us directly, we have a GoFundMe. So it is on our website. We are going to, we're using the money for operating costs and to pay our staff and our bills and keep our lights on until we are able to be running at full capacity. That's awesome. And we're going to put all of those links in our show notes. Diane, what can you tell, you know, we're an activist organization that gathers people to do care, aid and comfort. Uh, We sort of like to think of us as, you know, helping out with the sort of self-care and emotional support of providers in our communities. Could you just let folks know, you know, we have Operation Save Abortion, which people can funnel through us, but can you let folks know what kind of support and like just outspoken support that people can do to uplift your your staff? Uh, I think that it goes a long way for us to get supportive postcards to get like messages through our website. Um, you know, I'm, you know, we get messages from antis, so woohoo. Um, and it's really lovely for staff to know that the community supports them. So we, we take every time we get a postcard or something nice, we put it up in our staff room so that everybody can see it and enjoy it. If you ever wanted to send food or anything like that, make sure it's just all packaged food. We don't want like your, you know, homemade baked goods. Cause we can't guarantee that you're not an anti giving us poison stuff. So, um, but that's also lovely. People love things like that. Um, and I think, you know, talk to your community and talk to your family and friends and show up when there's a rally for abortion rights and become really irritating to all of the people around you, like make abortion your entire personality. Like we all have, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and just don't, don't let up and don't, don't throw later patients and later care providers under the bus. Don't be saying things like, you know, I'm up to, I'm all for abortion up to a limit, or I'm all for abortion except when this happens. You know, nobody has to tell you their tragedy trauma porn to be able to get your support for their access to routine, normal healthcare. Um, so, you know, learn the way to talk about this and, and then do that. That is awesome. I would also throw in there, it doesn't matter how many abortions you've had. Um, let's not judge people on um, on how they choose to have their abortions. Diane, it was so great to talk to you. We're so excited about your clinic and we're going to be letting everyone know. Thank you for joining us. Thank You're so you. welcome. Thank you for having me. If you want to stay up to date with the work of Partners in Abortion Care, you can follow them on Twitter and TikTok at Partners Clinic and on Instagram at partners in abortion care and you can donate to their fundraising campaign at the link in our show notes all right we're going to switch gears and move on to the podcast game show sweeping the nation six degrees of abortion this is the game show where marie and i choose a news story seemingly not related to abortion and Liz has six tries to tie it somehow to abortion um so this is pretty exciting i think that marie and i agreed on something Almost instantly. Uh, uh, and week. I found it first, for the you, record. This is a it, happy... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were watching the trailer for this uh, film called Chevalier, a film about a French, um, a Caribbean French uh, violinist uh, that is coming out in a few weeks. And it's got a bunch of stars we've never heard of, but there's one. <laughs> that is your question. And that is Mini Driver, isn't it? So could you, in six tries or less, link Mini Driver to Abochon? Also, this movie looks incredible. It's so a, this yes. is this is a crazy Mini Driver story. So um, I was with Maggie McPherson, who is my one of my oldest friends and has been my booking agent for years. Um, we had a friend who rented, who gave us a weekend beach house in Malibu when we were living in LA. Said, go to my weekend beach house. You guys chill out. You've been working really hard. So we're at our friend's beach house and we are watching next to um, next to us. These two dogs are surfing. They're they're sleep is so weird diving into the waves and then pedaling and then body surfing back in and it was like 
the best animal planet thing ever. And then we see their owner is out there with them and their owner was Minnie Driver. And so it's the, you can like totally fact check me with Maggie. Um, so it is beach house, Minnie Driver <laughs> to write to me. How's that? How's that? That is, that is pretty good. Isn't that a crazy story? Yeah, I will wild give you story. that. I would, I would literally be like, what drug am I on that I'm seeing dogs? <laughs> it was so crazy, the dogs. <laughs> and I was like- dogs. And I, like, well, what was nuts was uh, Minnie Driver was out there beyond the break, you know, and, and encouraging the dogs. And the dogs would just, they did it. I would tell you they did it for like an hour and a half. They would like not she get put tired. her dogs in surfing class or something? In, <laughs> and then they'd paddle back out and then they would, well, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah. So that's my mini driver story. I know. Love it. It's good. I think that's it's a good. win. Marie. It's a win, yeah, right? That. Yeah, that's fully that a win. I'll give that. I'll give that. Thanks. Um, and know, also, and I, we'll be seeing, Marie and I will be seeing uh, the movie Chevalier. So if you see it also, why don't you give yes. us a, give us a, send us a, send us an email. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Chevalier, <laughs> you know, I like any Chevalier kind of things. Um, I feel like I won that one. That was really fun. But now I'm going to turn it over to you, Marie, to take it uh, to our fake sponsor. Yes. And now we take you Supreme Courtside to our newest fake sponsor. Hey, Marie, did you uh, miss your chance to score some sweet, sweet Kanye Adidas before he got the boot from life? Unfortunately, I did. Well, you're in luck because you can still be a styling misogynist in a shiny new pair of Air Jordan Petersons. Finally, a real sneaker without the toxic feminism of some of those other sneaker brands. Custom designed by the master of masculinity himself, Air Jordan Petersons have a power top, dried beef tongue, and no sole. Perfect for Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson alike. Who you calling a beta cuck now? With those shoes on, nobody. That's who. Use the promo code Triggered Feminist Buzzkills for 10% off your first pair of Air Jordan Petersons. Order now before cancel culture comes for them too. <laughs> I love Air Jordan Petersons because it just sounds like he's got um sort of hobbit feet with some shit on top of them and like meat. I like a Jordan Peterson shoe always has to have a meat product. And yeah, no, I love base. that it has dried beef tongue. It's kind of, it's kind of genius. It's, it's <laughs> close to leather, but it's still meat. Jordan Peterson style. Um, amazing. Um, oh my God. Should we bring in our next guest? Yeah. Our awesome. next guest is a comedian, filmmaker, and writer. She's the creator of AMC's Indefensible and her most recent comedy special, Lady Killer, is streaming on Peacock. Please welcome Jenna Friedman. Hi, Jenna. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So this whole podcast we've been recording has been just all midterms all the time. Um, so you've got to have some feeling about it. Like, what the fuck are you thinking about this? I mean, mess? it's cool that abortion has been a galvanizing issue in a positive way. It would also be cool if Roe had been codified into law before the midterms. It would be cool if a critical mass of people gave a shit about the healthcare of 51% of the population. It could be worse. That's kind of my, uh, that's going to be on my tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's been my day. It could be so much worse, but we still have DeSantis. So there's a lot more worse to come, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Where do we start even? All right. Where do you want to start, Jenna? We have new special. You had a baby. You're an abortion stan. Like, where do you, where do you want to kick it off? Where, where do you want to go first? Uh, wow. There's so much. Um, I, uh, yes, I have a little human. Um, I'm very tired. I've always been not even pro-choice, but pro-abortion, but that's a whole separate issue. But when you have a kid, you just realize like, how no one should ever have to do this. Um, mm -hmm. It was really fun to tell abortion jokes pregnant. That's where we can start. I've never had more fun. Oh my God. Telling abortion jokes pregnant. I just didn't know. It was like the prop I never knew I needed. And it was so fun. And then when people would get upset, because some of the jokes upset people 
not when I wasn't pregnant, but I have a miscarriage joke that people got creeped out by. And then to just be like, you have to laugh, otherwise you'll stress out the baby. It was such a power. Like you're so disempowered when you're pregnant, but in this one space with a microphone telling these jokes, it was like the best. I just felt like such a troll in such a good way. Oh, I think one of my favorite um, videos that I've, I've like, like, you know, random crap on the internet. And it was like in England, some maybe eight months pregnant woman yelling at anti-abortion protesters in front of a clinic. And I was like, that is a fucking power move. Like, yeah. <laughs> there you I did are. It. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> I did a show one time in Pontiac, Michigan, and I had 200 protesters outside of my show. And this woman was I don't know how far she was like far. She was very much showing and she was screaming at an anti as she was walking in and she goes, it's a person when it can walk out of my vagina <laughs> and pay for its own fucking cup of coffee. And then she walked in. I was like, wow. That was, a, she was just like, I'm just going to stop by and just like scream and then just carry on to go to this comedy show. It was really great. That's how we have to do it. I think that the idea that women who have children are not pro-choice or like the mythology that they've set up is so it's it's all bullshit. Everything about their pro-life stance is bullshit. But that one especially and how creeped out they are by pregnant women, by women with young ch- children, by breastfeeding women. You know, like we're so disempowered when we have kids, but there are little area pockets of power we can harness for good to just kind of creep those people out that don't care about women. And it's such women. another wild thing. I'm like, oh, you want to force us to have babies and then you don't want us to feed them in in public? That's weird. And you don't want to pay, uh, you don't want to pay for us to have uh, like maternity leave. No. You don't want to make it remotely easy for us to be able to take care of these things. Yeah. No. Well, I think it's really interesting that the things that they object to are the things that help you be your individual self, right? You don't want to pay for maternity leave. You don't want to pay for, um, you know, parental leave. You don't want to, you, 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 you're disempowered by, by, all of it. It's just bizarre. It's like, if it, if it gives you emancipation, they don't want to support it within your parenting. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that at some point we can uh, stop calling them pro-life because it's really just about control. We don't. I know yeah. you don't. <laughs> I know you call them antis. Anti-choice. Anti-assholes. Uh, yeah. I, I call assholes. them that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's really descriptive. But it just, I think it's just the branding they've gotten. They're so good at that. And it's such at this point, I mean, like I I was, I don't know what I was something on Twitter about like someone called Beto. I'm Beto. Sorry. (laughs) Someone said, what was it? It was like a, like taking away our like baby killing, take away our guns. It was just like the same. They were like criticizing him for taking the guns away and also for killing babies. And it was just like that, that hypocrisy there is so profound that i don't know yeah. how people can like the mental gymnastics to be like i'm pro-gun and uh, pro-life anywho that's the whole i tackle it in the true crime show we do an episode on stand your ground and we i don't know if you've seen it but we also have an episode about um a law in wisconsin called the unborn child protection act which is insane and still in effect and it's about like criminalizing pregnant women pregnant people I'm from Wisconsin, so I really appreciate that you're. I didn't know about this this particular um, emphasis you did on that episode. That's awesome. And- yeah, I, yeah, cool. I was I, I I found out I was pregnant when we just started going to production, and we were only like I was only six weeks pregnant, but I'm like I'm just gonna tell them so we can mm-hmm. greenlight this episode. They would never, especially if you're <laughs> nauseous. Like people don't realize people feel differently at different parts of a pregnancy. When you want that seat on the bus, it, like it might be when no one's gonna look at you and decide to like assess oh, yeah. you in a way. I was oh, like, yeah. I might not be pregnant by 12 weeks, but I definitely want to greenlight this episode about yes! the criminalization of pregnant women, yes! <laughs> and no one's gonna say no to a pregnant lady. Uh, yeah, they will all the time. I mean, they will if you're trying to get an abortion, but uh, yeah, to, trying to get an abortion, trying to get a seat on the subway. I was pregnant on the subway, and, and nobody somebody. cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> I did want to ask you though. You brought up, which is perfect segue, indefensible. You look at true crime and some of the ridiculous ways that victims are blamed for their own death, like the whole "she made me do it," the circle oh, jerk coming yeah, back to, "Well, you deserve to die." Essentially, yeah. um, I was wondering, was there anything that really truly surprised you with with that piece and the work you've done there? 
I mean, so the show pulls from the Daily Show. It's really, you know, we're using true crime as a Trojan horse to bring in the demographic of women that love true crime, but we're actually tackling systemic. I keep saying tackling. I'm like, our culture is really violent. I wonder why. Um, (laughs) We're touching on issues, um, you know, related to structural inequality. So I didn't know much about the criminal legal system until I started working in it. And I didn't realize like the theatrics of it, how how it's really theater more so than it is justice and it's people who can afford the best defense attorneys um defense attorneys and prosecutors who uh play on people's inherent biases um in season one we did an episode on the on consent defenses or rough sex defenses which are illegal in the uk but they're legal here and uh one particular episode was infuriating this woman was murdered i'm sorry rough sex defenses so basically, I know we don't have a lot of time, but yeah, there's a defense used when uh, most often it's a woman who's killed during, who's killed. I don't even want to say during sex because sometimes a sex act wasn't involved, but the defense will say, oh, they were having rough sex and he accidentally killed her. She didn't come up with a safe word. How did I know? <laughs> and this is a, this is a bullshit defense. I'm like, how, how rough? It's a, it's a bullshit it's like defense. Like men, like, yeah. But, and in some places it's called the 50 shades of gray defense and it works. And um, uh, I think the most popular case was like the preppy murders. It was Robert Chambers killed Jennifer Levin in a park. Yeah. In Central um, Park. It was Central, Central Park. park. Central yeah. Park. I remember that. I was like a teenager. Yeah. And so that's in the York. most in New York. And so in the case that we covered, and I want to be careful because it, there, there was no evidence that a sex act was involved. A woman was killed. The guy stayed with the body for three days. There's so much to this case. His defense attorney checked him into a mental institution, and then they came back and said, oh, she choked on his dick. And so the media, Mm. it's so, the whole story is so infuriating and awful. And she was turned into a punchline after she was murdered. Everything about it was awful. We talked to her granddaughter. We were able to rewrite the narrative around how she was murdered in a way that gave a little bit I mean you're never gonna make anyone feel better about anything but it I think it was cathartic a little bit to the victim's family um but that's what we do in the show we take stories and we reframe them or we retell them or we try to find we try to zoom out and look at the larger structural issues the episode that's airing this tomorrow is about stand your ground laws in Florida and particularly about how stand your ground laws were sold as a way to protect women. But they actually, we know that these laws are racist, but they're also sexist, surprise, surprise. But they actually don't protect women from the people most likely to kill them who are their intimate partners. And so that's what that episode is about. The one after is about a law in Wisconsin called the Unborn Child Protection Act, which is insane and which Mm -hmm. we're seeing all over the country. Uh, But basically pregnant women have fewer rights than fetuses in Mm -hmm. Wisconsin and many other states. Um, And that one was interesting because it's a comedic show, but the comedy comes from similar to like the Daily Show correspondent field pieces. I got to talk to a lawmaker who uh, helped um, pass the Unborn Child Protection Act. And that's kind of, you kind of get to mess with them. That's where the comedy comes from. It's it's more, again, like a cathartic approach to you're you're so angry, but maybe we can hold people's feet to the fire and kind of fuck with them just to have a little bit of solace, but you know, I'm super appreciative of your standup, this show, you know, I transitioned out of traditional media, didn't leave it, didn't leave comedy, didn't leave anything because I was told constantly that issues like this wouldn't be interesting to men on shows where progressive men ran them on shows that are there, right? And so I think it's important for folks to know that it's crucial to support all of these projects. Uh, Watch Jenna's special, watch the series, because these stories aren't being told. There, you know, people will never prioritize gender violence. They just don't, because women aren't running studios you know, folks on in on, a, on on the gender binary aren't running studios. And so if they say men aren't going to like it, it's really hard to get it done. So I just want to give you a giant all the hats off for actually centering these issues and also making them funny and smart. 
I learned from watching you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you've Dad. been doing it forever. But just what you went through in the 90s and the opposition that you faced, like the only reason, and people still don't really watch, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the woods and the woods is like a streaming platform nobody has, does it really make a sound? Who, who knows? But the only reason I'm able to do any of this is because you've done it and fought to do it and keep doing it. And so, I mean, yeah, support, support my stuff so that Gen Z girls can actually get paid union wages <laughs> to yes. do this shit. 100%. Mm-hmm. And not um, get fired for trying to unionize. That's also a thing that happens. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um uh, what you did with um oh my gosh, I'm totally like Lady indefensible. Killer. No, with indefensible oh. really like informed where you went in Lady Killer. Cause like in Lady Killer, you like yes. really you're like, yes. I'm like, oh, we're talking about abortion, we're talking about this uh, other stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, we're talking about murder men. of pregnant women. <laughs> yes. And then yeah, no, murder that, of pregnant women. That was it. Like, so I, a lot of the jokes in there, I kind of wrote them as I was pregnant. And as mm-hmm. I, at, when I found out that one of the leading causes of death among pregnant women is homicide, where's the joke? Nothing's funny about that, but you, I just have this kind of, I have to talk about it. So the special is raw in the sense that there's stuff in there that isn't perfectly honed because I was literally pregnant during COVID and only doing shows outside and writing as I was going and everything. But everything I talked about, yeah, it was, yes, men. My favorite joke or one of, which is very tough for some people, but it's just about how hard it is to be a man in America or just in general. And the reason I know is because men are so good at killing women, but yet we still live longer. It's a truism (laughs) that I just fundamentally (laughs) find so funny. And it is, you know, like it is, it must be hard to be a guy because they, you know, they die of heart disease. They kill each other. They kill themselves. It's just a horrible you know, and, and what they do to us is so awful. But if there's anything positive to take away, I guess. No, I don't think it's easy to be me. I don't know. I just thank you is my answer. <laughs> 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 I haven't slept. I have a little lady killer. You have a child. You have a little lady killer. Yeah. I have one also. I have a little, a little lady killer. And it's funny. Sometimes he'll like, we'll be doing something and he'll be like, I got to talk. And Liz will be like, oh, he's so. And I'm like, no, no, no. We have to teach them now that women are working. <laughs> women. <laughs> are working <laughs> and so nobody can see it from you i breastfed mine on another i'm breastfeeding him now <laughs> on another podcast and i was breastfeeding him and i was like you know what this is what your life is gonna be get used to it oh, that's hilarious i'm um, jenna before we go you're a very fun interesting amazing person and you have a lot of things to offer i think what i want to know is when you're what do you do when you're not making men feel unsafe like what are your hobbies? I mean, during the pandemic, I was cooking a little bit. I know that sounds like anti-feminist, but... <laughs> are you kidding me? No. Knitting? Uh, cooking's the best. <laughs> yeah, I was cooking a little bit. Um, I mean, I've been laying low, uh, but I do, uh, you know, I play tennis sometimes and I hike in LA because it's LA, try to get back to New York. My hobby is getting back to New York whenever I can. It's a good hobby. It's a good hobby. Well, yeah. make sure when you get back that we um, we see you when you Absolutely. come. And uh, anything we can do to support all the things you do, um, it's really incredible. And thank you for your work and being a dope champ. You're doing great. You too. Thank you all so much for everything you're doing. Thanks, Jenna. Check out Jenna's Lady Killer on Peacock and Indefensible on AMC Plus and Sundance TV. Find out more at JennaFriedman.com and follow her on Twitter at Jenna Friedman. That's our show. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you, Diane Horvath, for joining us. You can stay up to date with the work of Partners in Abortion Care at Partners Clinic on Twitter and TikTok and at Partners in Abortion Care on Instagram. You can donate to their fundraising campaign at the link in our show notes. Ah, the midterm results are still rolling in and your buzzkills and AAF will be working to protect abortion access wherever the cards land. We're in this together. We got you. Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remy Detournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Looking for where you might fit in some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. 
Gather friends to watch or listen together and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. Looking for some action? Like be part of the solution action? Join Abortion Access Fund for our monthly Exposed Fake Clinics Action Hour, Monday, November 14th at 7 p.m. You'll learn how to warn people online about the dangers of anti-abortion centers and how you can encourage your friends to take action with you. Sign up at the link in our show notes. Also, self-indulgence alert, I have shows, year-end shows at the Parkway Theater in the Twin Cities, December 30th and 31st. Now that we've seen the results of the election and we can feel pretty positive that it wasn't a dire failure, let's go laugh at the dire failures together. You can get tickets at theparkwaytheater.com. And next week, we'll be talking to two people who are challenging a Kentucky abortion ban based on religious grounds. Lead plaintiff Lisa Sobel and co-counsel Ben Potash join us to talk about their lawsuit. And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool, exclusive FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. That's our show, folks. Thanks for watching and listening and hearing all about the midterms with us. Remember, it's not over till it's over. And then it's not even really over. <laughs> We leave you with the whole ass showing of Joe Jones from Shield of Faith Baptist Church in Boise, Idaho, the Ron Popeil of Christian hate preachers. Have a great weekend. Look, these abortion doctors should be put to death. The government should take them and slice them up. Not with pizza. Okay. <laughs> Actually put them to death. That, I mean, seriously, oh, you're going to back on the news. I'm going to go back on the news. They don't want none of this. You know, these <laughs> people are sick. Absolutely sick. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.